I'm going to make the joke anyway. Didn't Ford take Mercury out about 20 years ago? I don't know. Does anybody even remember Mercury? Yeah, no, no, I don't. I see the symbol around, and I'm like, oh, poor guy driving a Mercury. Yeah, but like, Things remember the good. last, like their their last spacey thing? It was just like an M that was like, yeah, that's what I'm picturing. It was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah. It almost oh, looked like the God. Audubon logo, except the Audubon logo is much cooler. Yeah, but well, you know, and your the, parents and the Audubon is much cooler. It's way cooler. Your parents had that. <laughs> what was it? An X? XR it was an XR7. So I looked it up, thinking, oh, this will be really cool. And it was very not cool. Was it supercharged? I don't think it was supercharged, but I saw all those supercharged ones. Yeah. It was a five liter. Oh, yeah. The modular. I, no. I, I don't know. Some, I, I, some the reason VA. I was looking at it is I want to see the interior to see if it like brought back some memories, you know. Well, and, I mean, it really it, isn't it basically just like a gigantic velour couch? It is with a bunch of buttons on the dash, I yeah. remember. And cool. the giant digital uh, numbers on the speedometer. So maybe we can finish up our tour of American car companies quickly, but you know, pre-podcast we were talking about the fact that the LT6 uh, is no longer pushrod and is going to be an overhead cam V8 with a screaming 8K red line and 650 horsepower out of an NA. So I apologize, I missed all of this while I was screaming. See, it. isn't was, it good that we're rehashing perfect. this for you? I was screaming at Pro Tools. So what? Which car is this? Corvette. Uh, it's going in the Corvette Z06. That already has a flat plane crank. No. Yeah, the current Z08 has a flat plane crank. Z08? Whatever it is. Or the Z06 version Z08 of the LT8. Fucking muscle. <laughs> fucking supercharged jock, nonsense. Yeah. Jock jawhead. All right. Well, Z-O. so. Z012. So I oftentimes just pitched the. Uh, no, uh, wait. Can, can back yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, go. The, the new Corvette. The like the America's America's Ferrari. Right? America's Ferrari. Don't say Porsche. That has a flat plane crank. Not yet. This year. Hmm. Don't know. And a naturally really aspirated know. five something liter say flat it. plane crank V eight <laughs> with a dual overhead cam motor that pushes out six hundred and fifty horsepower and has an eight thousand wow. RPM redline. I love the numbers. I love that that's two hundred and fifty RPMs lower than mine. Really? Yours is like Your over 8K? 8,250. Wow. I never would have guessed that for an, uh, what do you drive, an RS5? Yeah. <laughs> With a fence on it. Uh, yeah, I would have never, that's screaming. Can we please go do that after this? <laughs> what do you mean? I do that every day. Yeah, but, I, but I, I, I've never paid attention to that. <laughs> The California... Is your car for sale? Can I buy your car? <laughs> yes. The California storms made a a wet, soft fence drop on uh, Ben's car. Ugh. It did. Yeah. I'll never forget your description of that fence. A wet fence. Wet yeah. and soft. <laughs> it's like, Thank Whoa. God your expensive wax protected you. I, I honestly think incredible. it did. You wanna you wanna you wanna push that wax? Push the wax? Yeah, no, I mean on this it? podcast, like Swiss, you gotta Swiss wax. It's only like nine hundred and fifty dollars for like, you know. Yeah. Seven grams. Whatever. Okay, I have yeah. an actual question. It's more expensive than cocaine, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> How can a wax protect your car from getting a scratch when a oh, soft, this is when magic a soft wax. wet fence falls it's on it? It's magic wax. <laughs> so, all right, let's be clear. There was no... As far as I can tell, it's been difficult with the weather and the light and everything. But as far as I can tell, there is no there are no dents in the bodywork of the car. I was concerned about the clear coat. I was more concerned about that than dents. Yes. I was more concerned about dents. 
So if there are no dents, then my next thought was, oh, there must be like scratch. There must be like hazing. There must be some surface damage. Yeah. That's when Cameron's comment about like all of the wax and, you know, protection that, that you put on your car, it's done its job in yeah. this instance. I think it probably did because I really like I, I got to I got to work. I parked in the underground parking lot, which was dry. So I dried the car off and then I went, got some breakfast and then I went back. Car was all dry. I got some like quick detailer out. I detailed that side of the car and I was like, do you know what? I, I can't see anything. Wow. Awesome. You're so lucky. I'm, I, no. must, I must have looked like well, maybe such, not a, lucky. such an asshole in the parking garage with a flashlight <laughs> looking at my car. <laughs> <laughs> what is this guy doing? He's checking to see if there's raindrops on his yeah. car. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, he's dried his car. He's he knows it's still raining, yeah. right? It's all CSI Apple. <laughs> we are in California, just so you guys know. And it and yeah. we are in with California fences, and yeah. it rains and it's yeah. been raining. Yeah. A in lot, fact, lots of rain. It's been raining since the last time we podcasted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really has. I'm super disappointed about no driving right now. And every single driving road that we care about is like completely destroyed. Yep. I was gonna bring that up and, and uh, can we just do a, a quick recap of all of the roads that we can't drive on right now? Yeah, but first yeah. let let hi. I'm Cameron. I'm Evan. I'm Ben. And we are dads with cars. Dad's Rain edition. Three, yeah, dad, dads with cars that really haven't done very much driving. None. <laughs> so glad I drove before before Christmas. It was like the only driving that's been done in literally a month. I've been driving my 335i a good amount, but the Porsche has not moved since bef- since December. Has it been cleaned? No. No, it's an absolute wreck, <laughs> David. I, no, it, I look literally. at my car every day and I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. It's outside. Mm-hmm. I drive it to work. It's getting wet. It's like it has mud. And like bits of grass and debris on the, you know, under on the underside. Yeah. I'm like, it's driving me crazy. I almost washed it on Sunday. <laughs> I almost washed it on Sunday. I was like, you know what? The sun's out. And I looked at the weather app and it's like, yeah, but it's going to rain by like 5 p.m. I'm so glad you didn't wash. <laughs> I think I'm going to drive my car. You know, I'd like to be able to get in it at any point and just drive it, whether it's raining or not. So if I go and I wash it now, I think I'll be less likely, perhaps, to uh, get in it. I don't know. That, that's my mentality. What gonna... are you trying to do? Are you like preserving the car itself? You're like, oh, if I drive it, like every mile off is like one less mile of. Oh, I love this. This, is, know... a, this is a great conversation. I want to have this conversation. <laughs> about, about mentality behind putting mileage on cool cars? Like, I'm going to call it mileage anxiety. Yeah. You know, like F people, mileage anxiety. People have range anxiety, you know, with that, you know when they, they fear they're going to run out of battery power on their silly, stupid electric cars. And people have like, and like the whole, the whole industry is based on the premise that the more miles you put on a car, the more, the less value it has, the less value it is, which I, and I do understand that, like, because they're mechanical things and they wear out, right? But they don't really, but they don't really, I'm not, if you build them in, you know, not if they're built properly in the first place. Well, and not to mention the fact that you can rebuild them or restore them. Right. And pay seventeen thousand dollars to have the engine put in. <laughs> I mean, I, we I come don't, back to that later. Yeah, <laughs> I like taking my car on drives. I don't really enjoy using the Porsche that much to go pick up the kid and take her to her jujitsu class. You're and, a fool. You know her lessons and all this. Crap. You're a fool. Well, they, they have like deep. You're what, still a you fool. Should see where I have to park, <laughs> like when I go to these places. Yeah, but but the. Uh, but you're a dad with a car. You know what? I, I you, <laughs> two this, cars. This like so we're like all three of us drive German cars. And this morning, I got 
into the car with the kids to take them to school. And it was pouring with rain and there were puddles and there's stuff all over it. This was when I got into the car and I was like, oh, look, there's like debris and mud and mm-hmm. grass and stuff all over the bottom side of the car. And you open the car door and there's like all debris and stuff on the mats. And it's like, this it, makes me car- happy. I like no, hearing no. that. And the, I, it made me happy as well in the complete opposite way that I normally feel about like detailing everything into my car. But I got into the car and I was like, you know what? This car was built by Germans in Germany. Well, it wasn't built in Germany. It was built in Czechoslovakia. But hmm. it was built by Germans who like monitored the Czechoslovakian factory, whatever. <laughs> right? <laughs> it, was, it was designed they, they by Germans. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's built for this climate. Yes. It is built yeah. for yes. rain. It is yep. built for this kind of cold, wet. They don't melt. It yeah. cleans up they nicely. Melt. You, everything can be cleaned. Exactly. And if you put enough wax on anything, yeah. like the fence can fall on it, yeah. you're still good. They uh, amazing. They clearly they at the factory they did some wet fence testing. I know. <laughs> they do that. They do that. The Swiss now wax the hard people. Fence. The Swiss, Swiss wax people. Yeah. They're like, hey, uh, let's well, drop a fence on it. We are Swiss, but this is yeah, a German car. Yeah, drop the car. fence. <laughs> drop <Have> you, the <laughs> fence. Hans, have you done the have you done the wet fence test? <laughs> you know, it'd be cool if they're like, hey, let's drag the crown of a Rolex across the side of this <laughs> this Audi and see if the wax prevents it from getting scratched. <laughs> the crown test. Well, I can I can vouch for the the bracelet test is it fails that for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That huh. reminds me of that scene. Top from- tip, folks: don't wear your metal bracelet watch while detailing your car. Yeah. Oh, really? Did Take you your get- pants off too. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't want them the. Button flies, ooh, bad. Yeah. Belt, take your belt off. Take your you belt a, off. I, no joke, I did scratch my car by wearing my belt. Yep, uh, I've done that too. Yep, I have absolutely done that too. Thankfully, it was in the engine compartment of the BMW, and I don't care. Because there was no engine in it yet, because they want $17,000 to put one in there. Okay, I'm an idiot. I'll own it. <laughs> that I'll reminds me it. of when my kid was still in diapers. Can I say this? Um, I, don't I don't know where you're going. Where you this. Say, just wait. We're talking about belt buckles. As long as it doesn't involve, it, as as it doesn't involve <laughs> iRobot vacuum No, fitness. it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. or you hitting your kid with a belt. No, that didn't happen. But I did rub off, like on top of her dresser was where her little changing table was, and it was white. And over the year or two where she was a little baby, I completely ripped off all the paint to her dresser just by standing there, you know, day after day rubbing my <laughs> wait <laughs> wait let's not talk about what you're rubbing in no, the kids room my belt buckle up uh-huh. ag- up against the edge of the dresser so when you finally got rid of the dresser did you it try can do damage did you what i'm saying i believe it but did you try and you know pass that off as patina where you're like hey this dresser has patina no but it was cute and my my family liked the story it was nice do you did still you, have the dresser did you track the number of diaper changes i didn't but it's definitely in the thousands yeah. So do you think that the dresser has less value after a thousand I diaper painted changes? It, I painted it and we gave it away. To okay. Stop worrying about driving your Porsche. Good yeah. point. Good yeah. point. I like that. I'm not worrying about it. I, I bought the car with 24,000 miles and I admit I love those low numbers. Like I, <sighs> It's hard for me See, to let go the of problem. it. That is the problem. I, I got to let go. You have. I, I Look, I'm not afraid to take it on a road trip. I, you know, I, I'm ready. But you just want quality miles on there. I want, yeah. I don't like doing. You know what? No, you guys are they're meant to be driven. They're As meant to be driven. As we're talking, I'm like Evan. Drive the car every day. Why are you driving exactly. this 2007? You know, three three series. When every you could be day. Driving this. So, like, every, every day that I get to just start up the car and drive yeah. it, I'm like, this is a great day. Yeah, it makes me feel great pressing the button and hearing that. You're right. V8 that can rev to eight thousand two hundred. Every drive is an adventure. Like, and that's how it should be. 
And it's funny because my father, when he handed me his Boxster last year? No, the year before last. It was uh, 2021. Like, he's more pissed at me about the fact that I haven't put miles on it. He's like, how many miles are on that thing? I'm like, uh, 118. He's like, you've only put 4,000 miles on it since I've given it to you. Like, they need to be driven. Like, this is bad, you know? <laughs> the complete reverse, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I need to I need to snap out of it. So, my, and you guys know this, my car just ticked over 100,000 miles. Yeah. And it's a 2014 car, and it's just, it's done over 100,000 miles. Now, I haven't, I didn't do as many miles as the pre- previous owner did, owner did, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Yes, it was a great, it's like that car thing, car person thing where you it ticks over the big number and you're like oh that's cool and but at no point have, have i been like oh no i shouldn't drive it because yeah. there'll be more miles on it i'm as far as i'm concerned like the car's good for three hundred thousand miles so what is your mentality behind your car in particular are you thinking i'm going to run this thing into the ground i'm going to keep it forever i mean it does lose value obviously the, the higher I think, the miles I think all are. the value it's lost it's lost okay yeah i don't think that thing's going to drop in value anymore you could put another 75,000 miles on it still right. probably gotcha. keep the same. So you've reached a threshold. I, I think, back to Cameron's point, as long as you maintain it, as long as you keep it running, um, there's a there's a huge debate. Like the, the whole Audi community will be screaming at me now, but there's a whole big debate about um, the timing chain guides, right? And, mm. and when you need to do that. And some people are like, nobody specifically in the V8 RS5 community has had any problems with the timing chain guides. These are the plastic guides mm-hmm. that, yeah. that guide typical VAG nonsense, typical VAG nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. Apparently they fixed it all after the V8 from the RS4. Mm. There are issues with those guides, the plastic things, right? Mm-hmm. So, cause everybody's like fearing the $17,000 bill to have the engine torn down and have the guides mm-hmm. change. Like get this. So, they put the timing chain and therefore the guides for the timing chain. Which which side of the engine do you imagine they're on? They're uh, right underneath the window, Ben. Yes, they are. Yes. That's you, packaging, You mean the though. windshield? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't you put them at the... Why don't you yeah, turn the like engine every around? other car. <laughs> well, but, I mean, you got to drive the accessories on some end, right? Like, Wait yeah. a minute. The accessories on your car? No, they're in the, the front. No, they're, they're on in the front. front. Okay. I just did that. We just changed the You want to know what it is? That is weird. Belt. What? It's it's the reverse of the Porsche problem. That engine was clearly designed the one in your car. Not not all of them. I'm not saying all 4.2s, but the 4.2 in your car was designed to go in the R8 in the back. The other way around. The other That's way around. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, it was. Yeah. No, in fact, it Yes, because it's, exactly, it's the same thing. It's the transmission same is behind yeah. where the guides are. The V8 R8 has the same exact engine. Yes, same so exact just saying, engine. Screw it, it's your problem. Yeah, you buy yeah. an RS5. This is your problem. Well, I mean, it's like the same thing between my car and your car. They're like, hey, guess what? A bunch of stuff's hard to get at mid-engine guy because we designed this for the 911. Yep, suck it. Yep. Mind you, the longitudinal, the all of the V8 Ferraris, they have the timing belts in the same place. They're not on the back. They're on the front, next to the window. Wait, but that's. Hang on. So, so three five five three four eight. They're right behind the passenger. Like they're right behind you as you sit in the car. Yeah, because those guys were probably like, oh, like 
Well, engine out service anyway, right? <laughs> Italy. Go Italy. <laughs> Rad. So, yes. you know, when I first met you, you had a GT4, and I'm like, man, this guy knows so much about cars. He's got all these cars. You had like six cars, and there's cars in a lot across town. <laughs> there's a car in the storage space over here. Dur- and during this podcast, he's going to acquire another car. It's possible. <laughs> and I thought, he's the guru. Like, he knows everything. And then I found out that you have... What is it, 2002? The I have a... Uh, yeah, the, the one that's got the new motor coming in. Yeah, it's 1602. It's, it, it technically, when it's done with the new motor, it'll be a 2302. <laughs> Are you going to badge it like that? I thought about it, but no. But it would be a, against Ben's rules for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But um, then I found out that it seems like you've kind of been screwed on this car pretty bad. And I thought, <laughs> how could he let this happen? To himself, how can he make that many Actually, mistakes? Actually, I, I was screwed on the on, fir- on the car before it that my father told me not to buy, which again was a sixteen oh two. But where are you going with this, Evan? Where I'm going is it, with it is that how do you get into a six? How how do we as listeners get into a sixteen oh two for that kind of money? I'm talking like fifty, sixty thousand dollars kind of money that that you have in the car. It's not worth that much, right? I mean, what what is a Perfect conditions, show quality, six hundred two worth. It's worth what somebody will pay for it, but no one's going to pay seventy grand for have it. You oh, lo- have you looked? My at- God, well, that's Evan. what I'm asking. Have you looked Educate to bring me. a trailer? Really? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So that black one that was at Cars and Coffee that we went to that we saw. Oh, that's week. a seventy thousand dollar car all day. all day long. You're kidding me. No. no. Okay. I'm the idiot. That's great. No. 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 It's no not, it's, I literally thought uh, that car in perfect condition. Was like tops twenty five grand. Nope, you can. Touch, I, I don't you know can the market. Touch a rust bucket, like O two at this point for under ten. When you say O two, you mean sixteen O two or any 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 O two. So I was going to ask just because I don't. I'm not entirely sure. I know the answer to this. But yeah. What is the difference between a two thousand and two and a sixteen O two? The engine. The engine. Yep. Were they both made during the same? Time period? Yes. Okay. Is it as simple as a 1.6 liter compared to a 2 liter? Correct. So you're not a total idiot then. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I was I felt bad. I was like, he's gonna be so upside down on this. No, thing. Oh I my mean, God. so let's All right. let's dissect this. Let's, a bit. What, uh, let's uh, dissect it. Because Ben has dissected this a bit, right? Like I'm how old are kids? Ten. Ten. Almost eleven. Or in my case, my kids. Well, no, no, yeah, yeah, and my kids, they love it next month. So so my my sixteen oh two was purchased at this time in twenty twelve. Ten years ago. Eleven years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, and it was completely stock and a rusty piece of crap, and I bought it for six k. Okay. And I've worked on it for twelve years. So over the twelve years. I've spent a bunch of money. One, in the beginning, I was like, I'm going to make parts and do all kinds of things, and I might potentially make the Singer version of a 2002, which everybody at the time was like, why would you do that? These cars are not worth anything. And <laughs> yeah, they were like, you're insane. So uh, 11 years what ago, are they doing that now? really wasn't the market there is now. It sounds like things have really just taken off. 11 years ago, the most expensive 2002 you could probably find, and again, that was completely done. Perfect interior, perfect paint, you know, a bunch of mods and potentially like an engine upgrade of some description would have been about 20 grand. 
Like that was the top end. That was feeling like the top end. So that must have been the last time I looked at the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I think that's it's why I'm changed. thinking 20. Yeah. It's changed. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like everything has changed in that way in some ways, right? Like I got into sure. BMW E30s when you could still get an E30 for under 10 grand. You can't touch an E30 that isn't a complete train wreck at this point for anything under the 18, 20 grand. And the ones that are really nice, oddly enough, the one that I had, yeah, <laughs> which I bought for I bought for 8, sold it for 14. So it was owned for a year and sold for 21 and then it was owned for 6 months and th- sold for 32. Oh wow. Yeah. 18 months Incredible. from 14 grand to 32. And those were all, those most of those sales were on Bring a Trailer, right? They were all on Bring a Trailer. So you can Every look, single one. So you can see the whole history of that yes. car. Yeah. Yep. And Bring a Trailer is a good gauge to I mean, Bring a Trailer is where you go if you're literally like I would never buy a car and bring a trailer. I would always sell a car. Oh, yeah, and bring wait, a trailer. Th- they're going to be the sponsor of this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I've had I, I had a great experience selling my E30 on Bring a Trailer. I have no complaints. They were very thorough. I'll, I'll pitch another thing. The dudes that bought my car originally were Revival Roadco. Right. And right. what 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 is Revival Roadco? They are a kind of storage and resto company down in Monterey. All right, so you did the interior a couple times on your car. Now you've got an, a brand new engine made for it. Yep, sitting in a shop. Yep, and that's wait. There's way more than that, though. Yeah, I, I jumped ahead, didn't I? I don't know. No, Where are we I going mean, with so, this? Uh, like so, you were telling us, you know, eleven years no, eleven years ago, you bought this car. Yeah, and then yeah. you had plans for it. I, I, by the way, like you know, there's definitely some things that you've done and built for that car that nobody else has built and done for that for like 2002 1602s, right? Yep. So that's you've achieved cool. you achieved one some of, a, of that, one of a kind. right? Yeah. I mean, I've done a you know not to not to be like all one of a hundred. Um, <laughs> I've done a bunch of things that were firsts. Yeah. I was probably one of the first people to try and run. Uh, Image wheels is an example. Like I had a full set of custom. What's on the car now? Full set of custom wheels built from Image uh, for you know an E12. Like that, I was the first to do that. Uh, I was not the first to do Gen V induction, but I was the first to have Gen V induction running with Mega Squirt, and then ultimately stashing that inside of an Alpina airbox to make it look like a '60s version you know, fuel injected car. How, how many air quotes do we put around the word running? <laughs> Cause that's so, been, that's been, so. a, that's been a journey, right? <laughs> that has been a journey. And, and you, my friend, the two of us have been on that journey and the front of your car has been pelted with my fireballs. <laughs> Again, thank God you have good wax. <laughs> yeah. Ben, Ben has, Watched my car tear down 17, 280, 101, 880. How many feet of flames was it in the beginning? It like, was a solid, it was like a solid Batmobile. Flame. Yeah, it was a solid, really? like, like, like yes. four, four feet. feet of flames. Yes. <laughs> That's what we call running rich. Yeah. <laughs> Ben's like, I love the smell of gasoline. I'm like, stop. And he's like, no, no, really. I love the smell of gasoline. <laughs> Great. You had like a film on the front front of your car that you could yeah. rub off with your finger. No, no, no it was it, we were like as we often do when we're driving, we're on the radios and stuff, and Cameron's like, 
I'm pretty sure I'm getting like maybe like half a gallon to the mile <laughs> consumption. <laughs> <laughs> And Ben's like, stop shooting flames out of the back. I'm like, really? It's like, yeah. I'm like, like a fireball? He's like, no. Like, what? what's going on? He's like, there's a legit, like, four feet of flames like coming a, out like of the back. Like a flamethrower flame. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like Elon Musk running at, you know, employee <laughs> with the flamethrower. Like, yeah, we were driving a Dun 880, and they were like, I was driving alongside another, like, people are looking at the car going, what's, what's going on there? Yeah. Now, this is while it's just running or only when he's hitting it? or No, it was when I let off. Yeah, it was downshifting. Awesome. Yep. And then I thought I'd fix that problem and so you, you it could has be the first recently per- you, come back. You said a lot of firsts. That could be the first person to do that. Four, four foot flames at the back of a 1602. Well, no, I just like it. I, I, love, the, I love the idea of the Gen V solution, the, like, the intakes, individual throttle bodies. This is stuff that like only like people that that are really into this stuff want to try and do and that want to try and do where nobody's really done it before and then having the airbox the intakes and the intake on it it was just yeah it looks, i mean i tried to fantastic. make it look as if it was actually like an alpina car but everything's modern underneath so i've hidden all the electronics i've hidden all of the vacuum um like both the manifold and everything else that you need to run it like really tried to make it look as clean as possible. Um, even down to making sure that the shop that helped me do the um, the wire up that they had used cloth tape to wrap up the wiring harness, all that. Yeah, I mean it's been a journey, that's for sure. Where's the car now? The car is currently sitting at FFR Fabrication. I have a quick question though. Yeah, you said originally maybe I'm going to do like a singer to this car. You know, I'm really going to just yep. really make this car show worthy and incredible. Yep. Top to bottom. And then at some point, clearly you changed your mind or, or may, maybe that's still coming. I don't know. No, it's not coming. But, but that's interesting considering the whole dads and cars thing. You know what I mean? It, I guarantee the kid had something to do with that. Oh God. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> Anna was pregnant and I was like, I'm losing my identity. And, <laughs> I have nothing that is me anymore. I I own nothing. Like, you know, like when everybody knows when you have a child, like all of a sudden, even the pre bills for things that you're paying for to get ready to have a child. And this was my first child, um, goes through the roof. And I'm a person that has always worked for goals. Like I'm a goal oriented person. And it was like, Oh wow! Like I'm now in charge of two other people that I have to fund the well-being of, and we had our son. And about two months later, it was like I'm still at home doing maternity leave, and I've got to work on something. So I bought that car. Well, actually, that's not true. I bought a 1968 1600, which was the same car. Uh, and it was terrible. And my father told me not to buy it. And I mean, my father hates BMWs anyway. He always has. Um, Why is that? I don't really know. Like, I think he just thinks they are economy cars with a bunch of stuff slapped on them that makes them sound like they're the ultimate driving machine. And it's funny because I showed him this thing that. 
I don't even know what it is that BMW is running for CES, which was D, the the virtual. Like they say, it's a uh, an NK for this century. Is this new? It's brand new. NK. Uh, Noya class with the 2002, <clears throat> the 1800, all the things that are sitting in my garage that supposedly saved BMW in the 60s from extinction. They're claiming that this thing is that. So it even has a very boxy look. It's very small. Like if you if you squint at it and you kind of look at it, the silhouette from the front to the back looks like a, a 2002. Um, is it electric? It's not real, Ben. Oh, it's okay. virtual. <laughs> oh. And I was like, I can buy it, but it's an NFT. Yeah, there you go. It's BMW's <laughs> NFT. So, you know, which they're getting completely panned. And so I'm showing my father this. It was like, and people are saying, oh, you know, the ultimate driving machine is dead. And my father says, the ultimate driving machine is not dead. It's a Porsche. <laughs> He's got a point. Which, I mean, we... we, we except, can... except no other driving machine. Yeah, there is no substitute for the Porsche. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's. Uh, so I'm surprised to hear that you had the, that you got the 1602 after you had a kid. I always picture, you know, the, the guy that's got the cool car that he wants to restore, and then you have the kid, and then uh, things kind of fall by the wayside. Well, I mean, the, but, the cool but you thing went out was, and bought it after you had a child. Good for you. Well, yeah, that was my identity crisis, right? Like I need something that feels like me, the old me, right? I I was not sure that being a dad was really what I wanted to do. None of us were. Yeah. And <laughs> I was getting pressure to get rid of the my daily driver at the time, which was a Mark Six GTI that I had heavily modified. I thought we were really cool as a couple because we had matching GTIs. That is pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Um, but I was getting pressure to get rid of my car. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do that, then I want something that feels like the old me. So I bought that. And owned it for six months and had a bunch of people look at it because it needed a bunch of work. And my friend who owned a body shop here in San Jose said, I in good conscience cannot ever allow you to drive this car. And certainly not in a performance manner. This is the, the car before the 1600. Yeah. yeah. The, it was junk. Um, and he basically said, if you're going to go and sell it, you need to disclose that the frame on this thing is bent and <clears throat> oh which I did I turned it over to somebody that wanted it they were going to tear it apart supposedly do framework on it um I saw the car 2 months later and it had been completely repainted redone um got a hold of the guy because largely he kept driving the car over the bay bridge and it was still he never bothered to transfer the registration so, oh, so you you get hanged on the ticket yeah yeah that was great <laughs> So I got a hold of him, and I'm like, hey, saw that you had the body work done. I'm like, did you get the framework done? And he's like, no, I just had to paint it. Okay. It's really strong paint, right? Yep. A lot of wax. <laughs> a lot of wax. <laughs> what is it? Swiss wax? Swiss, Swiss wax. Swiss yeah. wax. A lot of Swiss wax. Um, saw the car again. Had a the same motor in the black car, Art's car. So the, um, I don't remember the model number, but basically a straight six out of an E30. With a turbocharger. Oh my god! In this car with a bent frame, and I was like, "Okay, like wow. we're a year out after the sale. Like I take no responsibilities for this. If the, you know, com- if the motor shreds the frame, and the rest of the car, not my problem. 
Wow. So, never saw that car again. I think it went to Southern California. And then I bought my other car, um, which I've had ever since. So, so I'm curious, like when you got the when you got your your car, the 1602. Yeah. What was the first <clears throat> thing you did on it? Like the first big thing. The first big thing I did uh, was to completely gut the interior. <laughs> like I literally was like door panels, driveway, seats, driveway, carpets, driveway, like yep. rear seat, driveway. And then I immediately was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of rust. Oh, no. Like the floor pan was toast. And then again, my dad's standing there because he's helping me rip out the interior. He's like, so, <laughs> yeah, BMW quality. Like was literally like his response. He's like, why don't you get in there and like strip all the paint off? You know, comes with the Jasco. Like he's no stranger to Jasco. Um We'd stripped many a Porsche with that. So he brought over the Jasco. He's like, get in and strip out the entire interior. Like, get all the paint out of there, all the sound deadening. I'm like, how do I get the sound deadening out? He's like, how about a heat gun and a big scraper? Yep. Um, Which I later learned is not the right technique. The right technique specifically is dry ice and a scraper. But with the dry ice, you get most of it. Well, we didn't do that, so I was there with Goopy six months of doing that oh wow and then you know i had it down to bare metal and it was it was absolutely grim could you see the ground when you, you oh know, absolutely flintstoning it around yeah yeah in the back uh behind the driver's seat you could definitely see it and so, were you able to find those panels and replace I was. them or what okay, yeah cool. yeah they make a lot of those so i was able to get that mm. uh wait were you doing like welding into i was it? just gonna say yeah i, I think you normally have to weld in <laughs> Floor floor pans and things like that. So I had a friend who I had gone to to do some welding of bikes, right? So not great welding, right? Uh, Not TIG, definitely MIG welding. Well, it's like more often brazing on bikes, though. Yeah, but a lot. Oftentimes they will use a a MIG welder with the you know running strip of um, what do you call it, solder or whatever, to like make that happen. Yep. So he did flux. Yeah, he did (laughs) essentially the the tack in. Um, I did a bunch of grinding to get all that stuff flat. And then we decided that it still wasn't good enough. So I took it to a welder who did, (laughs) here's the industrious of me, like just having landed in San Jose after not living here for 20 years, I found a guy that made fences, (laughs) right? (laughs) And said, Hey, how would you like to work on a floor? Like, you know, sheet metal. And he was like, Oh, easy. Yeah. Like, what do you got? So I was like, I got to get this these panels in, and it would be great if you could maybe have a look at these other areas. If you've got spare metal around and can get it flush and flat, that'd be amazing. So he ended up doing me a solid, getting the floor pans in. So I did two floor pans, um, and I patched the front valance in three places, and then I ended up having him look at the rear uh, fender well, the inner fender well. And he ended up bending metal and getting it all flush. And then I went in and kind of ground everything down to get it flat. And we, my father and I, anything that we couldn't get to look factory, we ended up uh, fiberglassing over. So we would fiberglass over the top of it and do a little like thin layer of Bondo. And then come in after that with uh, undercoating or, or, you know, kind of rust, rust repellent 
paint. So exactly as the Bavarians would have expected. I mean, I don't think it was pretty underneath, but when I finally <laughs> ended up getting to the place where I couldn't do it, I we were cleaning up the trunk and there was a big patch of Bondo and the Bondo ended up being, um, <laughs> it's the stupidest thing ever. The body had been pierced from the outside in some sort of an accident and instead of pushing the metal back and then kind of getting it flush or flat, they left it pushed into the trunk and just filled it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Like how so thick? I, like a uh, couple inches? Standard, no, standard probably, body shop garbage, right? Yeah, from probably like the late 70s or early yeah. 80s. And oh those cars gosh. were worth nothing, right? Wow. So it was like, yeah. probably do it as quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, three quarters of an inch of Bondo. Okay, that's, that's ridiculous. Which, when it broke, my dad, the ever practical person, just got out rubber mallet and just whacked it as hard as he could he's like well i figured i'd get the metal back straight and like off comes a piece of bondo that's probably the size of a hubcap oh my god <laughs> he's like you were gonna have to go to a body shop anyway exactly and it was just yeah, like yeah. yeah that's pretty practical yeah <laughs> he's scottish i like your dad the more you talk about yeah him. i mean he's pretty yeah, like he's pretty guy. rad uh so what's the rust status on the car now well, from my perspective or from FFR's perspective? Um, I, so guess, let's remember, I guess FFR. They're, they're pretty particular. Yeah. So uh, supposedly there's rust underneath. I don't know what that is. I can put the car up on the lift and have a look and, and fix and paint. Like, I'm not really worried about that, nor am I going to pay to have them fix that. So, I mean, that's that's insane because basically for the last 11 years, that car has never seen... <laughs> anything in terms of weather it's barely been driven right it's been garaged it's, it's been like covered 13,000 1300 miles i think i've put on it since i got are it. they talking about sheet metal or frame or where's this rust? no i think it's like surface rust i think they want to get in and grind and then replace the, the okay they want to make it look absolutely yeah that, that's yeah and this guy does not care i don't yeah. care yeah even after spending 100 grand on this car i wow. don't care out of his mind. Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, much like Ben's thing around, uh, should we drive or should we preserve? This is an exercise in me letting go perfection. Because I've had other cars since this car, and the mental craziness always kicks in in the exact same way. It's like, oh, I got to fix this. I got to fix this. And I am coming to the conclusion that I don't need to fix it. I don't really care if it's perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's going to get damaged. I'm not trying to win shows, and Ben and I can come back to shows at some point because I think sure. we, we've done this thing. Yeah. But it's really hard because you want perfection but perfection perfection on the 1602 that i have i bet you i could drop another 50 grand in Jeez. and it still wouldn't be perfect so you just want to drive the car i'm at the point where i just want to drive like because what i've decided is this the sitting around with the two of you talking about driving and cars and is what i'm interested in like the community around owning a car and the community around standing around at a cars and coffee 
and having a conversation with other like-minded people is really the thing that interests me or the going and driving and meet people, people on the road and having a conversation on the side of nine or 35 or one, like that's what's actually now interesting me. It's like, I'd rather do that than spend time by myself in the garage trying to make something perfect. Gotcha. Cause I spent you mean before you- meeting you guys, like, I mean, and Ben, you and I have known each other, what, seven, eight years at this point? Yeah. But beside, before oh, no, that... More than that, because like, the kids were like... Two. Two. So eight, yeah. But before that, I was by myself, like, not knowing you a block away, yeah. literally in my garage, like, eh, I'm doing this thing, you know? Like, I was by myself. Cameron, <laughs> were you rubbing it with a diaper? I was not rubbing it with a diaper. <laughs> It was too dirty at the time, man. <laughs> a diaper was too good for that. He thing. doesn't drive it. He just sits and rubs it with a diaper. <laughs> I could be accused of that with the GT4, but not by not by choice, but more by weather. And and that's the thing. It's like my father and I have always worked on cars since I was four. I would be out in the garage with him, handing him tools, or underneath the car with him, and you know, wondering what he's doing. He was not a perfectionist. Like he was, he, well, I mean, different thing. Designer guy, me, him, engineer. He was like, I just don't want the wheels to come off and I want to make sure the engine doesn't blow up. Um, Now that isn't to say that he didn't go crazy with his restos. Like we had multiple 914s. We had a 911 at some point. We had my Volkswagen Bug, which was like show car quality right like it had a porsche engine it you know he did the same craziness that i've done with the 1602 it was like full interior full drop suspension engine you know i mean craziness with the engine where's that car now (laughs) (laughs) you wish you knew yeah it's painful um that went to the crusher oh did it yeah i he did the same thing that i would do if my kid cared about cars which I would advise anybody as a parent who has a kid that is into cars, you build your first car, right? right? Yeah. Like if you are a person that's into cars, you are not hand handed a built car. You, that's a big deal. That, you, that's a big ass. That's a, that's like Jedi shit. Yeah. That, like, that's, oh, but I, when I, I was, see you have built your own lightsaber. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, foundry level, but you buy a Indeed piece of you crap. power. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, you buy a piece of crap and you hand it over and you're like, what are, what are we doing? Right? right. You come up with the plan. And, you know, obviously with my father, he it was an interest of his that he was trying to encourage in me. So he funded the build. It was like, here's the catalog of stuff. Here are all the magazines. Go through the magazine. Make yourself wow. a little like design board. Figure out what you want to do. Figure out the color. And then based on that, we'll figure out how we're going to get it done, where it's going to get painted, what the sweat equity is, whether the labor is going to come in from you and I, and what, yep. what I'm going to purchase. And he, you know, he made that happen. He, at the time, all I wanted was some sort of a Toyota Celica GTS or a Supra. And he was like, well, you're not getting that. Yeah. Um, but why don't we paint the bug? One of the, like the colors that, Supers come in. Right. Like, okay. Cool. So we went and got the brochure from Toyota and I picked a color and 
we went to the automotive paint place and had them figure out what the mix was and they mixed a perfect match for Celica Midnight Blue and we painted the bug that color and then we started tearing into it driveway just like taped it off and got busy with a airless sprayer what would you have well we didn't do it we went to a guy that basically did that and okay. it was done in his garage like that he taped off right but again this was not a we're putting twenty thousand dollars into a paint job it was like he paid somebody 1200 bucks and they did the paint job and gotcha. it was somebody that had worked for him as a draftsman <clears throat> um at ge that he just kind of knew and we dropped we stripped the bug down to bare metal. We did a lot of the body work. We like pounded out most of the dents. Uh, the rest of it that we couldn't get smooth, either through pounding out or fiberglassing, the guy basically did the rest of the body work. He was a bodyman and, you know, then painted it and handed us the shell back. I'd say it's safe to say that Cam's father was instrumental in you being a car guy. I mean, geez. Yeah. Well, my grandfather my, was a my, car guy, so it's like that. it's two it's two generations, right? Like my father and my grandfather um were both engineering minds in their own ways and they raced go-karts and they built hot rods and my grandfather gave my father a 34 Ford, which is the first car that he had and he basically hot-rodded it. That's like the ZZ Top car. I think similar to that 32 roadster or something like something that. like that it wasn't pretty but you know and all through i guess college my father had built cars sold cars and then you know kept upgrading and finally when he was in graduate school he got a 64 uh corvette stingray that was the first like truly legit car that he felt like he had which he bought brand new off the lot what color was that yellow hmm like a buttery yellow. Wow. That's like what the astronauts drove. He said theirs were A couple gold. Of years later, yeah. And they were convertibles. His was not a convertible. And, and they were $1. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> they got great stories about driving somewhere, and my dad is asleep in the passenger seat, and he'd, he'd turn the keys over to my mom, Um, which for my father, it was super important that my mom learn to drive stick shift, so he... They bought a Volkswagen Bug, the Bug that I had, uh, brand new. And when she finally, like, figured out how to drive a manual transmission car on her car, the Bug, then he finally became comfortable enough to give her the keys to drive the Corvette. So he wakes up uh, in the middle of Oregon, and they're doing 105 on (laughs) 5. And he turns to my mom and is just like, What's going on? She's like, I've never felt this much power. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like a 427, right? Like to go from like a 1600 motor to like a gigantic American made V8. It's like she's getting crazy. about four miles to the game. Yeah, who knows? And he's just like, like, slow it down, you know? <laughs> yeah. They sold that car to buy the house that they live in now, which is kind of funny. Huh. Yeah. And. He was an American car guy. Like the first car I remember, they had a uh, Chevelle. Again, another big block 427, like SS. And that was the first car that I remember. It was white with a olive green interior. 
in the uh, upholstery in any American car was this weird, it was almost like wetsuit material. Like, that's what I remember. It was kind of this weird synthetic. Uh, that, and I just remember that the the brake pedal was ginormous. Um, <laughs> and it had something about, like, power disc brakes was, like, in the <clears throat> rubber. And then after that, he sold that. And from that point forward, he was randomly like he'd never owned a german car before and he bought a 72 914 1.7 liter and then everything changed at that point it was all about small displacement uh you know road going cars and i asked him about that i was like you know you kind of hate the volkswagen like he always made fun of my mom's volkswagen which was a... 66 uh, 1300 VW Bug. Okay. Which by the time I got it, it was a 1750 Volkswagen Bug with a 356 motor that we had scrapped from some some yard here in San Jose. So he became a Porsche guy and has been a Porsche guy ever since. So he had the 70... One or seventy two. Then we had a seventy three two zero, which we had stripped. He had a early nine eleven of some description for a short period of time, and then back to the nine fourteen. And then he went straight from the nine fourteen to the Boxster that I'm driving. So that's fascinating. <clears throat> I'm curious about the decision to like go nine eleven and then go back. He's a mid engine guy, Ben. Right. Engineer. Right. <laughs> Just and, could not deal with the, the the asymmetric weight distribution in the 911. He said, you can... So when I went to go and buy my GT4, I remember this because he was very definitive. It's like, go and drive 911s, <clears throat> modern 911s, which he's never driven. It's like, go and drive 911s and go and drive the Cayman. And he's like, I guarantee you, if you truly are like pushing it, you're gonna, you'll choose the Cayman over the 911. Now, after driving Evan's car, I don't know that I would agree with that, but I think I see the logic that he was he was pushing. And at the time, I did drive some 911s. Um, I drove a 997, a 996, and an early a 991 similar to yours, although not one of one. Not one of one. No, <laughs> of course, absolutely not. not. <laughs> no, um, not many are. And well, in the well, end, one is only 99 R. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, other than me. Yeah. And then I drove <laughs> uh, a 981 Spider. So my car, but the convertible with the less aggressive suspension. And uh, I didn't drive it, but you and I, Ben, went to go look at the, uh, the blue GT4 that was in Los Gatos. Yep. And I think that when I saw the specifications of what was readily available in the GT4, I just decided that, that was the way to go, even though I hadn't actually driven one. I thought that having driven the Boxster, uh, the Spider, that that was enough that I would know what I was getting into. And I had to agree with him. I thought it drove better on twisty roads than the 911 did. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, he's hardcore med engine. Like he just has a firm belief that that weight distribution is a much better. So I'm curious thing. then, like, so, so you got, you got the GT four and I, I remember the day that that got delivered. And yeah, so, you were there. And so you've got, 
you know, you got a bunch of miles like behind the wheel on that. Do I? Yeah. I mean, not compared to you. No, but it's a different thing. But the question I was going to ask is like, you just mentioned it. You, you, you've driven Evan's car, which is a 911. So it's got too many gauges. <laughs> too many gauges. The more gauges, the better. Nah. Not digital gauges, dude. You have an analog. Gauges. You have an analog gas gauge. How like useless is that? I don't want to talk. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> don't talk about my gas. No, gauge I, like I think that. I think what he's saying is basically, if you have an analog, if you have a dedicated analog gas gauge in your car, it's just extra weight that the GT4 gotcha. doesn't need. Yeah, I'd rather have the weight. I guess what's it? An extra three pounds, maybe. Let's say I realistically. Don't I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I was curious though because you, you just mentioned it, so I was just gonna ask like high level, yeah, like what what do you, what were your first impressions when switching immediately from the GT4 to the 911? Because you 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 guys did a a car swap not too long ago. We did. Like, you went for a drive and then you were like halfway through and like let's swap and like just check each check out each other's cars. Like, well, what? I mean, so one, I didn't I didn't drive Evan's car like a jackass. Like I I just. I didn't feel good about that. Well, yeah. also we were on Uvas. Like if we were on nine, I feel like we know that road a bit better. It's a bit tighter. Not that you can get away with more, but I don't know. I, I'm more comfortable going fast on nine. Yeah, I know Uvas probably better than nine. Actually, really? okay. yeah. I mean, I definitely don't. Like that's that's kind of my neighborhood. I I I biked back there, so I kind of know what it's like from the perspective of being on a bike. Um. All right. So first impressions when driving my car. No, I'm not talking about your car. I'm talking about my car because I think that's what Ben asked about. <laughs> I thought I thought you asked about. I'm your just curious. You know, I'm just curious. Like that, you you mentioned it. Like you specifically, you said that you're not you're not sure you'd agree with your dad having driven Evan's car. I mean, so Evan's car is brilliant. There's no getting around it. Um, I think again, kind of even keeping with the milieu of this podcast, as a dad. With a car, I think Evan's car is more approachable and maybe more usable than my GT4. Yeah. The GT4 is... You're full-on thinking every moment that you're driving. It is not a relaxed driving experience. Like, the seat, the... You know, the blind spots, everything in it are... uh, it's it's just a different set of mental exercises that you're going through when you drive that thing. It's high strung. It's ridiculously fast for what it is. I think the wheelbase is like roughly the same between our two cars. That's what you had said. I was I thought for sure yours would be less just by looking at it, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's pretty much the same, but it it's just a different I don't know. I mean, I think you can drive any of the back roads that we would do. And and again, let's caveat this. I am not a track car driver. Like if I'm going to do any sort of track work, I'll get into my go kart. Like the stakes are much lower. Breakage is much less expensive. And I'm I'm really used to driving no suspension at speed and, you know, knowing knowing what that does. So I think. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say that Porsche hasn't figured out how to make the 911 work and work really well. I think the GT4 like if you were on the track 
I have a feeling that you would turn faster track times in my car over Evan's car. Okay. One thing I will say, though, is when I got out of Evan's car, knowing, like, thinking about how I was driving Evan's car, even, let's, I mean, I don't know that I've driven either of those cars. I mean, I certainly didn't drive Evan's car at even eight-tenths. I've definitely driven my car at eight-tenths. Um, when I got out of Evan's car and got back into my car, it was like, I'm going to push this thing hard. And I was on it with a layer of confidence that I probably hadn't had. Interesting. Since the since when you and David and I drove on the first day, and I was just like, huh, this thing's an awful lot like my S2000. It's just got a lot more horsepower. And I was, <laughs> I mean, you remember, I was just like flying that thing through nine, yeah. like in ways that I probably haven't since then. And I'm not really sure what changed, but I, I don't know what made me more cautious about driving the GT4. And I also don't know what the day that Evan and I switched keys what made me more confident when I got back in my car, I think there were certain things that through even the 20 or 30 minutes driving Evan's car, it was like, okay, the weight's in the back and I have to think about how the weight transfers, you know, corner to corner. And then, you know, kind of laterally like front to back, like when you're like braking or when you're accelerating and, there's enough similarity between the two things that all of a sudden certain aspects of my car started to make more sense. Right. Um, which kind of gave me that extra layer of confidence. And I would say ever since I've driven your car, I've been much more aggressive driving my car because it's like, okay, if I, if I approach an apex the same way that I approached it in your car, all of a sudden it's like much faster coming out of the apex than I was before. And I think maybe what I did was mistake the fact, which came from, you know, four years of driving my S 2000 where the engine was in the front, even though, you know, kind of mid front engine versus rear mid engine. Um, it's just a different way of driving that I don't know if I had put together until I drove your car. I've also had the benefit of, you know, having a 74, uh, 911 to kind of wing around as well lately and that has taught me a bunch about what it's truly like to have a bunch of weight in the back right so yeah i don't know if we got to anything important or well i mean it's, it's fascinating it's a bit of muscle memory too you get back in your car and you're like oh yeah you know i know how to do this that this feels right to me um, yeah it's interesting though right because we have the same motor yep same amount of power Yep. Um, but it, within the within main 15 horsepower, yeah. Is that it's, and the weight, maybe 300, 400 pounds difference? Uh, well, he doesn't I'm, have a dedicated fuel gauge, so. Oh, no. uh, yeah. Your so car's. That's at least 400 pounds. <laughs> well, I don't know how much does your car weigh? Like About 30, 32. 32? Yeah. I think you're at 28 or 29. 29, yeah. yeah. It's about 300 difference. But, um, anyway, I. I'm not surprised you felt good getting back in your car. And hey, I'm I'm glad that driving my car made you enjoy your car even more. Because going into driving my car, you were a bit concerned about your car. You were saying, my car feels twitchy. It feels crazy. I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. And it's twitchy. It's twitchier than your car. I mean, I think yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, and that, that has nothing to do with the cars. I mean, the fact that you and I can both sense the difference, I think, is is it is what it is. It's more about my driving style. I think... 
you know, Ben knows this. My S2000 was truly the right amount of horsepower, the right amount of weight, and the right amount of performance for me to handle. And I could do pretty much anything I wanted in that car. And it was it was not think, well set I think, up. I think many others would agree with that, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be such a popular car. Yeah. But, I mean, you and I were driving down... What was the road we were on? Bear Creek. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. literally had brake fade following me. <laughs> wow. Yes, I did. Like it was it was Not Ben and I and David, David and David was in his Well he was in his, like, <laughs> Well, David was in the focus. Yeah. I was in my car in the S two thousand and Ben was in the RS five. I was I was lost because that's where I should be in that lineup. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Ben watched me wing that thing sideways a couple of times and just pull it right out, right? Like, I'm super afraid of doing that in the GT4. Like, it yeah. feels like it's going to bite and spin. You said you had more fun. You've had more fun in the S2000 than you've had in I the I should have GT4. never sold that car. Well, I'm just going to own it. Yeah. It's a third of the price. So, uh, let me, God, twice like, the fun. Let me, let me flip it around for a sec because I'm really curious. Less to, like, than a third. Like, what were your first impressions of the GT4? Uh, the seat. As soon as I got in that seat, I was just like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Like it did. It's like know, a, it's like a rocket ship. Yeah, and you know, a while ago you had said, Cam, that my you, you referred to my seat in my Carrera S as a couch. Yeah, the couches. Yeah, and I never, I didn't even know what you were talking about. <laughs> well, that's what everybody calls them. <laughs> uh, the couches. You got eighteen way adjustable seats. That thing like rubs uh, your fourteen. Okay. Okay. Uh, they make it. It's like yet, it's it's like it's like the seats out of Wally. Is what he's yeah. saying. Well, well, I mean, it rubs your taint while you're driving. You I was know? like, what is he talking about? It's firm. It touches me it everywhere I want to be touched. Uh-huh. Some places I mean, you don't want to be seriously. touched. Yeah. No, but getting yeah. in yours, the first thing I did is I start reaching around, looking everywhere I can for I'm like, the there's one adjustment. There's, yeah. It's in the no front. I'm like, this back, I am not seated nope. proper. I don't look cool. I'm like, I no, want to lay back a You are bit, not you know? laying down in that car. No, it is like. You're no, not you're, driving pimp. No, th- you're going in cold and dry. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you're getting roughed up on the way out. Not, not wet and soft. Nope. But it, it was, um, I didn't think it was twitchy. I was waiting for it to be more twitchy than my car because you had said the word twitchy many times. I think you're just a better driver than I am. I just need to own that. I don't, I do not think that at all. But anyway, I, I didn't feel much different than in my car, I admit. Minus the gauges. I was like, <laughs> I was like where are the gauges? Did you feel a difference in the weight though? I did not feel a difference in the, the 300 pounds. I, I think you you probably, like, the thing that we should have done, which we didn't do, is there should have been a point where I, I was following you in your car. I think if you were in front of me and you were seeing me in your rearview mirror and you were trying to lose me, that's where you would have felt the difference. Like, I think... Good point, yeah. I don't it think it is that. more responsive than your car in certain ways. And if you are a good driver, and I, I, I honestly think you are a better driver, and that's not me being, that's not me trying to, you know, be like, oh, Evan. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Yeah, there's I no know, reason to do I know that. that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think you are a better driver in some ways. I think you are. Uh... Go on. <laughs> see, see, now you elaborate, do elaborate, elaborate, carry on. <laughs> I, I think you take risks in ways that I probably don't. And I'm not saying that you are a more risky driver at all. I think you you just know 
like how much you can throw at something. And I think that probably comes from the bike as much time as you spent on the bike. It could be. I was going to say that. Like you, you just have a different sense for like weight transfer and like how, you know, friction surfaces work that no like pure car driver that's never been on a bike is going to know. Right. But that's interesting because I would never consider myself um, some super fast good driver. I see the corner and I go around it as fast as I can. Oh my I'm God, not, Evan. Like no, Ben and I are like can be I'm a quarter thinking... mile behind you at some points where yeah. we're just like, where's Evan? No, but I'm not thinking about, well, the engine's back here. So that's why I'm driving like this. No, no. that's, that's the whole point. That's the point. Going that's the point. No. You're not I'm thinking. just going. Yes, like, exactly. You know? That's right. Okay, yeah. good. Then I feel good. I feel like, oh, maybe I'm not smart enough to be, you know, a, a very listen, intelligent no, I, driver. No, no, no. I think it has nothing to do with I think what, what driving the bike does for, for, I'm sure, like anybody that drives a bike hard is you. Well, actually, no, I'm, and I don't, I don't, I've never ridden a motor, motorcycle, but I have ridden my bicycle and I have ridden my bicycle very fast. And what that does for you is it, you have to see the line, right? You have to see that line to be able to take the corners quickly. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And what, and while I've never ridden a motorcycle, I can see how that would be amplified with power. And so then if you translate that, um, training, that, that practice of seeing the line in the road that you know you're going to have to put the bike through mm-hmm. and you uh, and you kind of like you dumb that down to four wheels right yeah dumb that down but at the same time you mm. don't have the same moment of acceleration right you don't have the you don't have the ability to lean in a car in the same way that you do on a bike so you're dumbing it down at the same time you're kind of doing that adjustment for like well I can't lean into this corner in this in this kind of way uh, it does not surprise me that you can see a line which is quicker than often quicker than than Cameron and I can. I think pa- I think part of it now that you use the word line is that when I'm on the bike and I'm staring at that pavement and I'm at nine tenths on a public road yeah. and I'm really getting it, I am staring within like a six inch patch of where I want to be. Yeah, right? I'm not just looking That's at right. the lane thinking I want to stay or looking at the white line on the side. I am looking like exactly where I want to be in the lane on the asphalt. You know what I mean? Yep. And that never even thought about it until we're talking right now. Yeah. That, that I mean, I've always thought that being a motorcycle rider makes you a better driver in that you're more aware, not necessarily at speed, but, but just, you know, of other cars, of changing lanes smoothly, um, you know, just more aware of your surroundings because you have to be kind of hyper-focused on a bike to survive. Yeah. Um, but but I never really considered that, like you said, dumbing it down. You know, well, I, th- kinda, I think it's a bit easier in the car. I think that the thing that the bike does for you is a couple of things. You are hyper conscious of weight transfer. You have to be. Oh, yeah. And then and, and where the suspension is loaded and when it's about to be yep, unloaded. Or which released. I mean, you need that when driving the car. But like after you figured that out on a bike, which is probably happening at a lot greater speed. And like you said, with a lot more accuracy, the car is probably like an easier, it's an easier place to be. The other thing that, like, honestly, the thing that worries me most is managing friction, right? Like, I am hyper worried that I'm going to spin that thing. And I don't know why that's like such a fear for me, but... The, the real tires on that car are like 17 miles wide. <laughs> you, you know, maybe you've just never... I mean, wider. For me, like getting in that S... 
I know that I, it's not going to break loose, and it could just be from. Have the, you ever had a break loose? No, I've had my car I mean, break like, loose slowly but surely. Yeah, come out. I have you know, not. I've warning. had the thing like bite. Like where it's like, like oh, oh out. god, we're like sideways now, really? and I've had my son in the car, and I think the combination of the two is like locked in. And I'm a- after now that worried. happened, did you have to really correct and you know? Oh I my had god, to, like- I had to, like drop acceleration, like by lifting completely, and oh, so you had a moment, wing in a the real, wheel, a real moment. Okay, yeah, where so every all of my training around anything at speed and kind of catching things that are sliding. I mean, obviously cars first, right? Like I've done a lot of that in snow or rain or whatever. So I'm used to that. Although I had a slew of front wheel drive cars for a really long time. And how you catch those is obviously very different than a rear wheel drive car, but driving a cart, you know, slow time comes from any kind of rotation. So you are taught, Hey, there's a there's a rational amount of like slide that you want and anything beyond that starts to slow you down. So like I'm really good in a cart at catching the slide or the drift and bringing it back in. But you're on slick tires with a lot of like, you know, not a lot of torque and a lot of horsepower. Um and the S2000 for me was very similar to that. It was like, "Oh, sliding wing wheel you know oftentimes it was apply more gas and the time when you know the back end of the gt4 came around it was like the worst thing i could do right now would be to put more more gas into this because it understeers like and i don't know why the s2000 for some reason it they claim there's a lot of understeer but i never felt that it was like nope this thing feels super super neutral in the front I don't know, maybe because the weight was nearer to the front and, you know, like if you let off the gas and like whip the wheel, it was like it had a lot of bite. I feel so planted in the in the S. I just can't even imagine how fast I'd have to. I mean, I could look if I was at Laguna doing a track day, I would purposely try to break it as loose as I could to see where that threshold is. Yeah, because I feel like I haven't even approached it yet. You know, I'm not saying I haven't because it could. And I'm hoping that it's a warning kind of car, you know, that can say, hey, you're stepping out. And when it's wet, yeah, I can feel it saying you're about to let loose. But when it's dry, I feel like it's just so unstoppable. You know, like you said, 17 mile wide t- rear tires. <laughs> yeah. Those 305s, it's it's insane. insane. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think the thing that I've learned, though, about Porsches in general, outside of the 914 or the 968 I had, um, which drove an awful lot like the S2000, it's all about power in the corner, which is really not very intuitive. And I was actually playing with that with your car. It was like, I wonder what happens when I power into the turn, right? Like I do all of my like decelerating before I get to the turn, which is what everybody says to do. Sure. And what happens if I'm like full throttle, like through the turn and your car was just like, yup, let's do this. Right. And I'd learned that a few weeks before driving the 74 where that thing is literally like, you better do all of your braking before you get into the turn, because if you are powering into the, you know, like you're powering in, like through the whole thing, it's not going to be pretty. Well, so, yeah. so think that through. So what, why does that work? And, and like, I'm, I have no experience, so I'm just thinking about it from like pure physics. But all of the weight in the 911, whichever model it is, is basically at the rear wheels 
right? So you come in, you approach the corner, you're in the braking. All the weight transfer goes to the front. It's going to the front brakes, which are bigger. So you get all of that done. And like, as you were describing it, is that you power at the apex. Yep. That is, that scares me what you just said. Like powering at the apex scares me. Right. But, no, it, but I don't but, do that. I don't think I do that. No, I bet you do. I bet you do. You just I don't know. You it. just don't know it because at the apex, right? Oh, at the apex, I'm nailing it. At the apex. At yeah. the apex. At the apex, right? So all of the traction and the weight transfer goes to the back with the additional weight of the engine yep. on the axle, yep. which is driving the traction. <laughs> Hence with the why it doesn't 18... break loose. Hence why it doesn't break loose. It, yeah. it, well, I'm sure it, it can. It actually yeah. gets more sticky. Like, that's what I noticed with the right. 74. Because, and then when I drove Evan's car, I'm like, same principles because apply. The, because you have this, because you have two things probably more than two things, but at least two things going on. You have the weight transfer. So you have that moment of inertia moving to the back, which is literally like a pendulum moving to the back. And then you're pinning the accelerator at the apex. And which is like doubling down on that because you then have the hunch down. The squat. The squat of the acceleration. And then that is transferred to traction, which then accelerates you out of the corner. Yeah. Yep. And I think I, not to bring up bikes again, it's not about bikes, but... I definitely learned that from bikes. Um, you know, when your traction is at its greatest, when the most weight is on that rear tire, that's and, that's and, when and, you can push and when to nail it. Yeah. And when I push now, coming out of corners, as opposed to you know thirty years ago when I first started riding bikes, I could really just open it up. It's like I know how much grip I have, right? And I'm confident in that, whether it be in a car or on a bike. And yeah. I could really just straight up floor it, even on my 125 horsepower motorcycle which doesn't weigh that much, you just nail it and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And if it does, it does. It gives you a little bit of warning. It's like, it's a little sloppy coming out of that corner, but that's as fast as you can go. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is the thing that if you get, if you can master that, it's so amazing. Let, so let me finish the thread. So compare that to a, an engine which is mounted slightly further forward from the rear axle, right? So that moment, both the pendulum right that you get from off the brake onto the accelerator at the apex yep. so that weight transfer is still the, happening it still happens but the effect is later because the distance from the pivot of the center of gravity is smaller well that's the thing i think that you really have to like that was the one thing that i really noticed with evan's car like you know s type turns right like quick left quick right what I really realized about his car is the weight transfer is back behind me three, four feet, Yep. you know, and you feel that. Right. And you feel the drag and like your body moves in a very specific way. With my car, it's like right at your waist. Right. Right. And so those turns are like, you know, with, with Evan's car, you're kind of like this. With my car, it's like... This works really well on the podcast. Yeah, you can't you can't see what I'm doing, you but see you know. him. he's running around the room. <laughs> yeah, I'm licking my palms. Um, weird, weird, you're saying you swing weird. wider in my car. No, 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 you so, do. So weird. But it's 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 slower in some ways. Like yeah. it's a it's more motion, but it's happening in a, at a rate of speed that you can process. With my car, there's it's no instant. It's instant. You're like uh, left, right, uh, you know. Yep. And so if you're not ready for that. You're, you know, and I'm 51 years old. I'm, I think I'm too old for that shit. I, th- I think what you're realizing is, yeah, we've said this before. You know, I'm driving a 400 horsepower modern day Porsche. Oh, my God. 
this thing is insane. Yeah, it's insane. Like, yeah, it's twitchy. It's way too fast. It's completely nuts. But I, I mean, you know, I didn't have Sport Plus going on your car when I drove it. I was in Sport the entire time. And the electronics eliminate the negative side of the weight at the back of the car, right? Like, they've done a lot of things to make sure that that doesn't kill you. Yeah. Um, my car, I think they've, there's, they're relying on two things. They're like weights forward a couple of feet. Mid engine gives more neutral traction, you know, front to back. And the nannies just aren't as aggressive, right? Like things aren't happening. There's way less going on, uh, with the traction control in my car than there is in yours. Like it, it literally has a much higher tolerance of like, Oh, slides happening. Not going to intervene. Right. Like you need to know what you're doing at this point because you're probably on a track and you don't want me intervening. Right. Do you know that that's different or you're saying it might just feel different? No, I know that's different. Okay. Yeah. The mapping's different. Everything's yeah. different. Gotcha. Completely different setup for that. There's no sport plus on my car either. Right. So it's born sport. Plus. Uh, well, that's what I was Easy thinking. Off. I was thinking it was born sport and that, when you press sport, it's like equivalent to my sport plus. Although my sport plus the mapping really just might be, but like the, the, the intervention. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the intervention, but like the intervention on mine is already really low. And you know, if you shut everything off, it's like legitimately no intervention. Yeah. You hit a tree on you. Yeah. I you know? like yeah. I appreciate the interventions unless I, unless it just rained and I just literally just want to have a little bit of fun, which isn't very often, but I like the interventions. Yeah. I think it's one of my favorite things about my BMW motorcycle is that it's the first bike I've owned that has a dynamic suspension on a motorcycle mm. where it's like interacting a hundred times a second or whatever the number is just saying, Hey, you know, here's what your wheel spin is at. Here's what you're looking like. Here's how much you're leaned over. I mean, yeah, I appreciate the help. Thank you, BMW. Meanwhile, over here in Audi land, you can't ever turn that shit off. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like, four-wheel drive, conquer everything. Yeah. Like a small tank. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, though, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Porsche, which is one thing. Sorry, to go back to last week's episode, uh, when we were talking Ferrari, Ben, you know, the fascinating thing that I find about this is Porsche really is a very approachable, very like common, right? Like you're not going to see Evan's car every day, but you will see another one of them, right? Like, sure. well, not the one of 100, but I've w- seen, I've seen your exact car. In fact, it was for sale on, on bags. Oh, I'm saying down on the street. No, on the street, you probably are not seeing your exact car. But, I mean, you will see a 911S, whether or not it's got Absolutely. the f- fantastic fun you know, front end <laughs> or not, and the wheels that only your car seems to have. Like, every time we show up to Cars and Coffee, like, I've stopped taking my GT4 to Cars and Coffee because there are 20 of them, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and that's a thing, and that's great. I think that says more about the fact that we live in Silicon Valley than it does about Maybe. Porsche. Yeah, you've Maybe. got a point. Absolutely. But that said, you know, for every 20 Porsches that you see at Cars and Coffee, you see two Ferraris. Yeah, but I mean, that's just production numbers, right? Is it, though? I mean, or is it really like a difference in exclusivity? Well, I mean, sorry, is the exclusivity the supply or the demand? 
I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Well, for example, if I had an unlimited amount of funds, sure, I'd love to have a Ferrari that might be sitting in the corner somewhere. But you mentioned approachability. I feel like it's the everyman's supercar. Is it a supercar? Okay, maybe not. No, it is. But, but, it is. But, but your, I'm just your saying. Car? No, your car is a supercar. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, say it again. Your car is a supercar. Mm. <laughs> but, but it I doesn't feel, feel like I it to feel me. I get in, I turn the key. My insurance is relatively normal. My gas mileage is normal. It's reliable. I mean, it doesn't feel like a Ferrari. A Ferrari scares me. I wouldn't, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't drive the Ferrari to go to pick up milk at Target, you know, or wherever. I, I absolutely would. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> well, as long what, as it wasn't raining like today, I would. What, what's the new one? It's like F, F what? F8, F9, F, what, what's that one? What, the Tributo? Yeah, that. Yeah. Would you drive that to Whole Foods? I mean, if I owned it, sure. You couldn't park it far enough away. Huh? No matter how far away you park it. No it's wax is good enough to protect enough. that. Yeah. There is no fence. <laughs> Moist. Oh my god, what would you do if the fence enough. fell on a Ferrari? Uh, well, I mean it didn't damage the it didn't damage the Audi, so That's an Audi. <laughs> you can't turn oh, the god. traction control off of that thing cuz it's a tank. It's a level of responsibility that I don't want in my uh, life. No, I'll I'll take I that. I just don't. I'll take that. There you have a but that's just me. But I, I believe that you would you have a responsibility in ownership of that hand-built car that that is different. God, I'll I want you to own one of those. That, I do. That, that I would just be want the you difference. To own one of those. Could you make this happen, please? Yes, could you? <laughs> I want you to be responsible. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this there's this concept, and I have worked with people that have owned and and that play Stradivarius violins and cellos, and the, the, like you know, like it sounds the, so normal with a British accent, doesn't it? Half a million dollar cello, right? And Ben was in the recording industry yeah. for a while. And they, they have this, the mentality is, well, they don't own it for a start. Like the, most of these musicians, they don't own. Yeah, they the, borrowed it. Somebody's got a collection. Yeah, so it's it's generally lent to them by a, a rich If I had a Ferrari, I'd loan it to you, Ben. <laughs> well, so, but these you are couldn't pro- drive it, but I'd loan it to you. <laughs> so there are professional musicians that uh, that don't own the instrument that they play. Right, these are multi-million dollar violins that they don't own, that are are essentially gifted to them on loan, um, and one of the reasons the point I'm making is one of the reasons is that you can't have an instrument like that and just put it in a case. It has to be played. Yep. Right. So my like translation of that is, if you own a Ferrari, then you have to drive it. You can't just put it in the garage and look at it for yep. weeks and weeks and weeks. You have to drive it. I, I hope you stick to this. If and when you do oh, he will. a Ferrari, I know hope I, I, you know I absolutely will. know I Ben will. Yeah, no, will. I think, look, you're saying it now. Why wouldn't you? It's this whole, I, like many people know this. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's this, there's this thing called an Italian tune-up. <laughs> right, so, like, so this is how you... Is that ch- like a Thai massage? No, it, it's uh, this is how you tune your ferrari right is you take it out and you drive the crap out of it that's oh i mean that no that's i mean that's an italian tune-up that's what (laughs) that's what it's called but i mean it's the exact same thing with like old air-cooled 911s like my buddy ross was like you get that thing you warm it up you know you give it three ish minutes to warm up so that you're not needing to pull the handle to have the (laughs) throttle yeah but once you can drop the throttle to the floor and not have the thing die, you pound that thing. Yeah. You don't even wait for the oil to 
like you're like every on ramp I'm pulling seven thousand RPMs. Yep. Every single one. He's like trust me, when you go into the garage in a week from now, it will not be leaking oil. If you don't do that, yep. it will leak oil. And he's been absolutely right about that. Wow. And my father said the same thing. He's like, if you don't drive the Boxster almost every day, you're going to have a messy driveway. And he's like, and, you know, you've spent a bunch of time thinking about your driveway, so I would suggest you drive it daily. And he's absolutely right. Like, we were gone in the UK for three weeks, and I come back, and there's a puddle of oil beneath that thing. It's never happened since. Wow. I, and, and, like, the, the whole thing, like, you look at, like, some of these you know, you look on the eBay or bring a trailer or whatever that for like some of these old 308s that have been sitting in somebody's garage for like 10 years. And they're like, they're like, oh, you know, car starts up fine. Da, 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 da. But like everybody knows, like everybody in the comments is all comment. Everybody knows that every seal on that engine right? is done. <laughs> every gasket is done, right? Because <laughs> it's just dried out. And yeah. so a lot of that exercising the engine, getting it warmed up, getting it lubricated, getting all the oil in all the places where it's supposed to be is to keep all of that stuff, quote, like moisturized, right? It's to keep it like working and warmed and like flexible so that you don't have those problems. That's where those leaks come from. Alive. So it's like you're keeping it alive. Dry, yeah. It's like you're keeping it alive. Well, right? I mean, like. Or if it's a Stradivarius, it's you're just keeping the wood moving, right? Yeah. You're keeping it so it doesn't seize up. You're well, I mean, it. that's the thing, I think, with any of these objects, right? Like, we're not talking about art that's hung on the wall. We're talking about art that's got a purpose. And a Ferrari, a Porsche, a Stradivarius, all of those things, the idea is it's supposed to be used. It was not designed to be hung on a wall. It was designed to actually be driven or right. played. And while we've come full circle around that whole... You know, yeah. Do you use it or do you not use it? Yep. Back to the hundred thousand miles. Back to the mileage. Drive the car, Evan. Drive the car. Okay, so let's say my car is not warmed up completely. Drive talk, the car, we're talking Evan. About seven thousand RPMs no. getting on the on. No, that's in an air cooled. That's different. Okay, yeah. it's different. Yeah. And even I, then, I, I do mean, prefer to let my car get to temperature before I start revving it. I think. I, I think with, I with flip, modern I, Porsche, I flip the, yes, uh, I flip my the display on my car to show the oil temperature. And I don't do anything above six thousand RPM until it's like at ninety degrees C. Yeah, which is which is like fully to... warmed up. Ben okay. and I were leaving for a rally one time, and he actually apologized to me over the. Hey, sorry, I just left you in the dust. I didn't realize, like, I forgot that you weren't warmed up. But it was like, I really appreciate that. <laughs> just go, like, it's fine, you know. But it was, it was, you know, it was one of those reminders, like, don't go insane before getting things up to temp and yeah. for me it's like i'm waiting until things are you know water temps at like 180 and oil temps at like at least 120 before i'm going above 5,000 rpms like other than that you know you're probably tearing up gear at that point the yeah. oil's just not viscous enough to move around the funniest thing is and so i i like it, this is such a nerdy thing to, to admit to but every time i get in the car i start the timer there's a lap timer in the car. Mm. So mm. I will start the car and then start the timer. And then the fascinating thing is looking at the difference in time it takes for the engine uh, coolant to warm up to temperature and the engine oil to warm up to temperature based on two fundamental things. 
one is obvious. When, was the, oh, when was the last time I drove the car? I was thinking exterior air temperature. Second thing is the ambient air temperature. Okay. So if, if, like the, if it's like now when the temperature is getting down to below 10 degrees Celsius and it's overnight, then I know it's going to be nine, 10 minutes before everything gets warmed mm. up. In the summer, even overnight, if the, the air temperature doesn't go below like 20 degrees, I know that I get into the car and the car's going to be warmed up, ready to go in five minutes. It's a huge difference. That's funny. Yeah, I, I don't think what you're saying is that uncommon. I don't do a timer, but I definitely have like a, a mile marker, let's say. Like right. I, I say, okay, I'm going to be able to open it up halfway to Charlie's school in the morning. Yeah. You know, because I know it's going to be at temperature. Weirdly, it actually does make a difference on my car if I'm just like driving like stop go traffic versus on the freeway. If I'm on the freeway, it warms up way quicker. Okay. Mm. So well, that's why I time it because I'm like, well, that's, you know, rather than distance. Fascinating. So, <laughs> uh, dads with cars, what did we talk about today? I'd say we got a really good history of Cam. I didn't realize what a big part your father played in you being such a gearhead. Yeah. I mean, he left car magazines. I, one thing to finish out on that that I was thinking about. Sure. Um, I don't think I learned to read until I had a stack of car magazines and that's what I actually learned to read with, right? Like everything else was not particularly interesting. And I don't know, maybe, you know, and again, maybe this is something that we should think about with our own children. I think only one of the three of us has a child that's interested in cars. My my kid is not, which is soul crushing in, in a number of ways. Although he's, he's one hell of a car driver. Um, not yet. He's not interested yet. But uh, I don't think he's ever going to be interested, he's Ben. He's pretty young. I don't know. No, I mean, by this point, I was like, Dad, how do I help? Um, you know, I think that was the thing that I, I'd be curious, maybe in a future podcast for us to look at. Um, you know, what what things have our children decided to engage with us around? Like, that that was an area that I knew my father was really into. Uh, most weekends when he was not working or traveling, like he was in the garage. And for me to spend time with my father as a young child, it meant being in the garage. And so I invented excuses to be out there. Well, you know, I have small hands. I can help you with that. I, you know, (laughs) I can get you the tool. Like you don't need to get out from underneath the car. I can hand you the screwdriver. Um, you know, I think that's really where it started was this idea of having commonality with my father. And I think, honestly, it's one of the things that has bonded my father and I throughout my life. Like, it's still the thing that we we bond around, right? Like, he has helped. So as expensive as that stupid 1602 has been, he's been by my side at the car shows. When I first met the BMW people that I know now, he's the guy that, like, you know, built a lot of the interior of my, you know, gauge clusters, etc. He has advised me on different things in terms of like engine management and how to get the best performance when, you know, the suspension wasn't working. He was the one who was like, I think you need to rework this thing. And like, went and did the research to try and figure those things out, right? Like it has been a bonding a source of bonding my entire life with him. And, you know, like I, I don't know that we have conversation without having a talk about cars. Awesome. Uh, we also talked about 
the difference essentially between the GT4 or the feel of a GT4 and a 911. Yeah, I guess we went deep on Porsche for a while, didn't we? That's okay. So tonight we talk about Porsche and the difference Eh. between your two cars. We learned a lot more about uh, Cameron's history with his dad and cars and his history of his 1602 BMW. I learned that the timing chain guides on an Audi RS5 are stupid. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> I think it's one of those things people worry about that they don't need to worry about. Is there a, a way, by the way, to like do it easily? Like No. 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 Engine out. Yep. Engine out. Okay. Service mode. No. Engine so, out. So they're just mean. But you have to do service mode to get engine out, though. Well, you, you do, yeah. yeah. But you have to take the whole front off. Service mode and engine out. <laughs> okay, Ben, sum it up. What did we do tonight? So tonight on Dads With Cars, we talked to Cameron about his history with cars. We learned a lot about his history with his dad and the cars that he built and restored. We talked a lot about his uh, 1602 BMW. We talked a little bit about mileage and should we care and should you drive the car. We learned a lot about Porsches in particular, the differences in driving characteristics between the 911 and the GT4. 